Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Sample Chapter Podcast friends from around the world, welcome to episode 65. <laughs> My name is Jason A. Meiske, thriller author and your host, welcoming you back to another wonderful week with another fantastic guest. Uh, my guest today is Brian W. Peterson, and the W is important. You're going to see why. Make sure you stay tuned for that coming up here in just a few minutes. Hey, but like I said, thank you so much to everybody around the world. And I say that because I, I've been checking out the numbers and got to look at a new little thing where I got to see a map of the world and Obviously, yes, uh, the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, which, okay, when I first started this, to say that the show is popular in Australia and New Zealand is already beyond me. So, all of you out there in those areas, oh my gosh, thank you so much for making this show popular out there in that area of the world. But, you know, to, to look at the map today and to see that I've got listeners in Honduras, Brazil, Ireland, Sweden, oh my goodness, Sweden, and a place I used to call home for a few years, Japan. I, I Wow, everybody, all of you out there listening, thank you so much. I am extremely humbled, and I just, you know, I, I'm just, I'm grateful that you're finding value in this show, and, you know, this just makes me want to try that much harder to make sure that each and every episode is the absolute best that I can give you. To everybody around the world, thank you. Okay, I'm going to try not, that's enough of that. No more, I'm going to get choked up. <clears throat> Man's man, here I am. Let me grab my whiskey and my cigar. Yeah, <laughs> all right. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe so that, that way every brand new episode downloads directly into your device. Also, don't forget to go and follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, uh, where we have pages on both of those locations. And that's also where we share every episode. And again, another one of those things I've been looking at here lately is I know people are uh, are checking out the website because I'm seeing a rise in clicks for people following, you know, clicking in and following through to the website, which is awesome because it means you can see what the book cover is for each episode's author. So that's just a really cool thing that, that you all are clicking through to that. If you are an iTunes subscriber like I do with my podcast, you don't get to see that kind of stuff. So it's important to, you know, make sure you check out and like and share the episodes uh, if you're following us on Twitter or Facebook because that's where you see the uh the whatever the book cover is that's the link that you click on to listen to the episode another thing you can do is to reach out to us just through our email samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com and that's uh as it turns out that is usually the best way to reach out to us so if you're an author or if you have an author recommendation reach out to me that way and i'll be happy to uh we'll, we'll get something set up and we'll get you on the show uh, don't forget that your book does need to be published to come on the show. So if you have a book and it's published, maybe it's uh, coming out real soon and you have a uh, pre-order set, that's good for me. Come on, let's get something set up and uh, let's have a little chat. Speaking of having a little chat, 
I'm going to raise my glass to my buddy Dave, <laughs> a long-time listener, and he came to Reader's World this past weekend, met me at the uh, at the author signing event that I was there for with other friends from the Writers of Warrensburg that I write with. It was, it was a great time getting to speak with Dave and meet his wife, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we sold some books. We had a really good time talking to all the people who came in, and, uh, you know, of course, Having somebody come in and say that they're a listener of the show really, you know, that really hits home and uh, puts a warm feeling in my heart. And that's not the alcohol speaking, Dave. This is to you. <laughs> All right. You know, if you're following on social media, then you saw some pictures from that over the weekend. It was a great, great time. Had a lot of fun. And I got to doubly celebrate because not only was it my first author event of the year, just a few nights before that, Sitting in the theater, waiting for the newest Avengers movie to begin, I had my Scrivener app opened up and finished my newest book. <laughs> we, we got into the theater, had a seat, we had plenty of time ahead, and uh, waiting on the movie, and I had already been just frantic because I couldn't wait to finish the book. I knew how close it was, and yeah, I mean, I owe so much of this to Scrivener. Uh, having the the desktop app synced with my phone so that I can log in and and write on it anytime I want to and they're always connected the files are always up to date so I just pick up right where I left off no matter where I am and it, it, it was awesome uh, you know like I said I just I opened it up and got to writing completed the last uh, last couple pages typed out the end showed it to my wife and she was like, oh, that's great, honey. Congratulations. Now, shut up. The movie's about to begin. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, she was much nicer than that. She was great. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just moments before the movie began. And, I, you know, it was nice because it, it allowed me to relax and enjoy the Avengers. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have my second story done. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not done done. It needs some editing. I've got to fix a lot of things. But just to have that first draft completed and uh, being able to begin the editing process is a huge huge accomplishment for me not only because it's my second book but also because my first one took about seven years so so all you first-time writers out there you know I know how you feel this one I began in November and through most of December and the first probably two weeks of January I really didn't do any kind of writing so I wrote this pretty fast uh my fastest to date and it, it was a great experience and uh, i'm looking forward to doing it again down the road uh whenever i have time whenever i have more time i'll talk to you a little bit more about the book but uh, right now i do want to make sure and say uh not only saying my thanks to scrivener but and you're going to hear an ad for them here in, in just a moment but also want to say thank you to you store all the uh, premier self-storage facility in the Warrensburg area. They've been a long-time supporter of this show and of, of me. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be here without their support to begin with. I also want to give a big shout-out to Pop Goes the Culture Network. Uh, their network of shows, uh, they're just, it's amazing. They have so many great shows. I'm very happy to be a part of it. And uh, I'm having a great time being able to chat back and forth with a couple of other guys and girls from the shows. And, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get in there and check out some of the things that's going on. They got interviews with, uh, you know, movie celebrities. Don't forget to check out the show notes for 
the sponsors and Pop Goes the Culture. And it's great, great stuff, I promise you. So, yes, as I was saying, this week's guest is Brian W. Peterson. He's a thriller author out of Kansas, uh, not too far away. We met at the uh, Planet Comic Con last month. And, uh, yeah, we, we just had a few moments to chat before something something interrupted us. And I don't remember what it was. But, uh, anyway, but he was actually not too far from uh, a friend of mine, William Schlichter, who was also up there, a previous guest as well. And, uh, you know, fortunately, he and William got to chatting. And William said, yeah, you need to get on, you need to get a hold of Jason. So, you know, thank you so much, William, for helping us get connected. Brian and I have a fantastic chat about... Uh, his influences, which you know are among them, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, how he's been writing since childhood, and we also discuss how he's inspired by the dreams that he has at night. You know, he has very vivid dreams, and uh, we talk about that. And I, I gotta say, although he has a history in TV and film and some screenwriting, <laughs> he he does very good with the segues, as you're gonna find out. So he 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 really picks up on on little things that I say and works it right into oh yes and you know speaking of that my next book uh, it was fantastic talking to Brian he was a lot of fun and you're gonna love it so let's get us on over to that interview with Brian W Peterson right after a word from our sponsor. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard. You can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener writing software, built by writers for writers. Hello fans, welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, Jason here. Hey, uh, this, is, this is a really fantastic episode for me because I have a special guest it's my very first guest uh that's a result of going up to the uh kansas city comic-con a couple weeks ago and uh, uh my guest brian peterson is is one of those people i got to meet we got to talk for just a few minutes and uh, he was kind enough to come on the show today so i'm really excited and uh yeah ladies and gentlemen brian peterson welcome to the show thank you for having me i appreciate it it's my pleasure it's my pleasure uh go ahead and uh, let the audience know a little bit about yourself well, I am a Midwesterner, and I think that probably comes out a little bit in my writing. I am from um, outside of Kansas City, Missouri, and now I live outside of Kansas City, Kansas. I uh, basically was writing forever, and I loved writing as a kid. Didn't do a whole lot in grade school, even though that's when I really fell in love with it. But once I got into junior high and high school, that's when I started writing and I started learning that people were impacted by what I wrote. And that just really fueled me. So once, once I started reading Edgar Allan Poe, there's, there it went. Oh, very cool. Do you, uh, do you still have any of your stories from high school? 
I, I probably do because I have a thick folder of a lot of things that I've written, but uh, mostly what I keep uh, are ideas. I have mm. a thick folder full of different ideas of things that I, I've chewed on for a while and decided that'll be a good story. I'll write it down or type it up and uh, then put it in a, a physical folder. And then I have some things on the computer and I'm always afraid of computer crash. So I'll print those out. But yeah, you know how it is. You know, when you're a kid, you know, you enjoy it. But when you go back and read what you wrote when you were in junior high, <laughs> you go, uh, no, that wasn't so good. And it might be a good idea, but, you know, that's pre-training. That's when you still have that uh, mushy brain, you know, and the writing just isn't good enough to really do anything with unless you just want to start all over with the idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's funny because once you said that, it suddenly hit me that one of my stories I used to write, I was very influenced by, um, not as classic as Poe. For me, it was uh, movies. I was always influenced by, you know, Red Dawn and all the uh, Chuck Norris and oh, yeah. Stallone movies. So I was always writing adventures for my friends and I going out on commando raids and stuff and saving the school from attackers. Uh, but I realized talking to you and you talking about that, it's like, yeah, that was actually, it's the genesis for sci-fi I'm working on at its heart there's pieces of uh, some of that in there. And you're like, oh, that's, that's neat. You said that. <laughs> well, you remember the kid from uh, A Christmas Story and mm -hmm. that imagination of his saving his family and all that. The first time I saw that movie, I'm going, that's me. That was what I was like <laughs> as a kid. Yes. You know, just imagining these crazy, stupid things, you know. And that's why I started writing because my brain, first of all, it never shuts down. Mm -hmm. I'm not a very good sleeper. <laughs> and uh, I'm you know, always thinking things through, whether I'm thinking about things about the future, about the past, you know, in, in real life, or th thinking about things of, you know, what, what if we change that and that happened? You know, if I witness something, read about something in the news, what if it happened this way? And so it, it's always the what if, and, mm. and, I, and I tweak things in my mind. But, you know, you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned that about sci-fi. My first novel, Children of the Sun, is about best friends and they find out that their families are on opposite sides of a war that's on another planet. And so when they learn more about it, they find out that they're enemies. And the tagline is, what would you do if your best friend's destiny was to kill you? That's not exactly proper grammar, but it has been the best thing I've ever written was just the tagline alone has been great for me. What would you do if your best friend's destiny was to kill you? Well, part of that story and none of it that I just mentioned Part of that story came into my funky brain when I was in junior high. And uh, I think that's one reason why it's my favorite story is mm -hmm. not, not necessarily will it, you know, 30 years from now be my favorite book, but it's definitely my favorite story. And it was something that I had some ideas as a kid of, you know, um, it's a, a joke now within my family that, you know, I knew I wasn't adopted, but I didn't imagine spaceships <laughs> coming down to take me away and say, tell my parents, well, thanks for raising him and spaceships come away, but other spaceships are coming to stop that spaceship, you know? And, and so I had all this crazy stuff in my mind and I ended up using that years later in, um, in children of the sun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think we would have gotten along very well. We, we probably would have been outside with <laughs> our, our lightsabers and imagination. I think when we were young, so 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. So, uh, now, and then you went into uh, TV, film, and, and writing education out in California for a while. What did, uh, did you learn anything through that that you took into your, uh, your writing later on? Well, the education was at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. And I was trained, I, I had some creative writing classes, you know, the traditional classes, but my emphasis was television for practical reasons to get a job after college hmm. and screenwriting. And screenwriting is what I wanted to do. And I figured out that if I learned television, I could learn the uh, behind the camera aspect, and that would help me in my writing. Well, I ended up working at a TV station out of college and then moved to Southern Cal, and I wrote screenplays. Now, it didn't go as well as I wanted, but I did get a 30-minute uh, short produced, and that was a lot of fun being on the set with a, an actual Hollywood crew and Boy, that was a lot of fun. I really loved that. And then I got to play the dead guy in the opening scene. That was a lot of fun until I found out I had to lay down in the uh, desert, uh, hot dirt. That wasn't any fun. But uh, it, was, uh, it was a good experience. I had a great education. And that's why now I, I tell people who ask me, you know, hey, I want to write. What do you think I should do? I tell them, number one, write. Write a lot. And number two, get, it, get um, some kind of training. It doesn't mean you have to go back to college, but take some extension classes. Take some kind of courses where you can learn how to deal with them when you're stuck in the middle of your story or how to better develop a character. Or if you're writing a novel, how to end that chapter so that it's a page turner. And so it was a really good education for me uh, at Oral Roberts University. But then when I went to California, even though it didn't work out right, I made contacts. And that's why... You know, the, all three novels that I've written, I, they came from screenplays, and those screenplays are optioned by a Hollywood film producer who, if, I, if we get the funding, and he's done things that are you know, made in the theaters, but if, I, if we get the funding, then we can have them into full-fledged movies, and that would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah they... so it, it, it might be in the long run will work out better than it did in the short run. You know, it was, like I said, the, I had some good experiences, but being trained in screenwriting was really good for me because it, it helped with my, even though it's a different kind of writing, it's not near as interesting to read a script hmm. as, as a novel, how to construct a story, how, how to avoid certain pitfall, pitfalls, um, I learned these things in, in my screenwriting education and then as I wrote screenplays. So I approached my novels uh, as three-act plays, as a screenplay is. And, and as I said, I, I've, um, my first three novels all came from scripts. So I used those scripts as outlines for, for the novels and then expanded upon them from there. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, I mean, that definitely is a, some great lessons then. And, and I, I love your tips there about uh, that's a great way is not only the writing every day, but then look for ways to grow. Uh, I, I had a chance a couple of years back to take a class for free and <laughs> everything I could have taken. I chose a film class just because I thought that is what appealed to me. And, and I thought maybe I could transfer some of those instructions over to writing. And I, I was right. I had a blast and I learned so much and so much of my writing. I consider how does this, how's this going to look? And yeah, that's, it's great advice. Fantastic. And what's really interesting about it 
is it's great for the writer. Now, if the, if someone just goes and picks up a script, it, it's boring reading because you, it's all visualization. And then, you know, if, um, if you go into a room, you walk into a room in a novel, the, the, the character does, it's being described so you know what that room is. So I met you at Planet Comic Con. So at Planet Comic Con, the author of a novel is going to describe, you know, cosplayers, going to describe booths, going to describe the building, going to describe all these things. And it might go on for a little bit. Or the author may work it in and kind of paints the picture for you. A screenplay, it would say interior, Comic-Con, day. Mm. And then it'll, it'll be a one line that says uh, something to the effect of a typical Comic-Con in a large cavernous building. And then that's all it is because the rest of it is up to the crew, is up to the set designer, et cetera, to make the scene. That has nothing to do with the writer. And so reading a, a script is quite dull and you really have to put a lot of your own imagination into it as opposed to where the author of a novel paints the picture for you. Absolutely. Yeah, completely agree with you. Well, speaking of, I, I actually meant to ask you at the start, how was your Comic-Con? That, that was my first time uh, ever going. It was typical Planet Comic-Con. Very busy, very crowded. You get folks who they want to buy your book and they say, but there's so much to look at, I'll be back. And then the <laughs> challenge is to get them back. So I had a good, I had a good planet. It went, went really well. I had an outstanding Friday, the best Friday I've ever had. And yes, I keep track of these things. Mm -hmm. And it was a it was a very good show. A year ago it was the it was the best Comic Con I've ever had, and that was at Planet. This was pretty close. It was a good show. I was very happy, and no matter what, I don't I don't care if they have it on the day after Christmas. I'm going. I mean, Planet is just that good. It's an awesome Comic Con. It, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like I said, this was my first one, and I could only go the one day. And my kids went, and they had a blast, and met lots of stars. And I put my focus on went around and met authors and which was great because it's you know I was I think I came home with 36 different uh, contacts and you were one of them and uh, I missed out on uh, meeting up with um, Henry Winkler he had already left but you know that's all right <laughs> yeah there will be there will be more stars next year there you go there you go okay we'll jump back forward again uh, you told us about children of the sun your first book that sounds amazing tell us about dead dreams your second book Dead Dreams started out, I wanted to do, and we'll skip the whole aspect of it, start off as a screenplay. I wanted to do a story about sleepwalking. I've been a sleepwalker since a little kid. I haven't much in the last 10 years. But I wanted to do a story about sleepwalking. Well, as I started putting together the story, it just wasn't working like I wanted. And I love dreams. I have awesome dreams. If I, if I have a dream and I wake up my heart pounding and I'm sweating, that was a great dream. <laughs> and so I, I just, it ended up that there's no sleepwalking in the story. It's all about it, uh, the dream aspect, not the, the sleepwalking. Well, it's the story of a 20 something who moves back home after uh, he's, he's been away. And when he does, he starts having dreams. Each dream's different, but they all end the same. He's murdered by his family. So naturally, he's concerned that these may be premonitions, and he starts researching dreams, trying to figure out why they're happening. But the more he has these dreams, the more intense they become. 
And as they grow in intensity, he begins to lose touch with what's reality and what's dream. So he decides he either has to stop the dreams or he has to stop his family. It's called dead dreams. Wow. And I have a lot of fun with that because a dream, I just basically get a chance to make up another story within the story. And so there are a series of, to me, from my point of view, many stories within the main story. And but they all got it in the same way. And, you know, they're different. But um, so that was a lot of fun for me. And anything to do with dreams. I, I've, I have story ideas from dreams. And obviously, that's not how I get them all. But uh, I've gotten some cool ideas. And, you know, I, I have intense, just really intense dreams that are sometimes violent. I know people are going to now call a psychologist, but um, I get, uh, I have dreams that are pretty wild in nature and what happens. And I love them. I just think it's great. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love when it all of a sudden hits you and you're like, oh my gosh, I just remember this dream I had last night. I got to find something to write down or where's my phone so I can record this real fast. Yeah, really. Well, and I did a lot of research on dreams because of it. And uh, according to psychologists, certain things mean certain things. When uh, I said that kind of funny, but what I mean is uh, fire may mean something. Presence of a knife may mean something. The character in your dream changes to someone else may mean something, etc. So they all mean things according to the conventional wisdom of psychologists. So I had a, a lot to learn in the research phase of the book writing. And so that actually made it more fun for me. You know, research yeah. isn't the most fun thing in the world to do. But when it's a subject that you enjoy so much, uh, it, it, it does. It makes a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think especially with a, a subject as interesting as the symbolism from dreams, I mean, that I could see how that would be a, a rabbit hole, to say the least. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Awesome. Well, so your, your latest book, Wager of Death, tell us about this. Wager of Death is a story of some businessmen who run a small business, and they are being attacked by an arsonist and murderer. They don't know why. They don't know who's doing it. And at the same time, they're subject to a government audit. While they're dealing with all this, a junior executive proposes a bet, an absurd bet, an illegal bet, but the bet would give him control of the company if it went his way. And the real motive behind the bet is just psychological. It's just to harass the owners. But then he changes the parameters that if he wins, and he's got it rigged, so he's going to win. If he wins, the loser commits suicide. Mm. So while these owners of the business are busy trying to stay alive, they're and deal with all these things. They're trying to stay alive and deal with this junior executive. It's called Wager of Death. Wow. My goodness. I, I, I didn't see the, the date on this. How, how long has this been out? This came out March 5th of this year, 2019. So okay. All right. Hasn't been out long at all. Wow. Well, it sounds incredible. This is, this is really cool. I, I definitely will be picking up a copy of this for myself because this is, that sounds like it's right up my alley. Well, in my first novel, the sci-fi adventure, Children of the Sun, it's not, it has a psychological element in the sense that, you know, when your best friend is trying to kill you, that messes with your mind, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm really 
and I, I like sci-fi, and so I'm oriented toward that. And then I like getting inside my characters' minds, hence Dead Dreams and Wager of Death. And Wager of Death, when I wrote it as a script, it was more of a straight drama. But when I started thinking about what I wanted to write for my third novel, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, that would really be a good psychological thriller if I just up the intensity. And so that's what I did. And, you know, like I said a moment ago, I'd love to get inside the minds of my characters. And this was just a natural fit when you have somebody messing with you like that. And the whole purpose of the wager, which is in writing, and uh, the uh, character cons one of the bosses uh, into signing this. Because, you know, if you've worked in business, you know, it's not uncommon to give somebody a bunch of pages, say, okay, I need you to sign this, I need you to sign this, I need you to sign this. And that's what happens. And the, the bet itself has no value. It would be illegal if taken to court. But that's not what he has it for. He, the, the character doesn't have the bet because he literally thinks he can take over the company. He's messing with some people's minds. And mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what that's about. And so I thought, yeah, that's, that is a natural to become a psychological thriller. And so I just upped the intensity when I wrote it. Wow. It, it sounds like some bosses I've known in the past. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what do you got coming next? Are you working on anything right now? Right now I'm so focused on marketing this that I've stopped on my fourth novel. I will pick that up pretty soon. Fourth novel, I'm going in a completely different direction. So I'm, I'll come back to that in just one second. Books five, six, and seven, I'm going to break down and do a sci-fi trilogy. Hmm. And I'm not in any way prepared to talk about it. You know how that goes before oh, you yeah. get it published. But it's I've got the book number five outlined, book number six part, partially outlined, and book number seven I just have some notes on. So I'm going to I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to take the route of um, a, a trilogy. A lot of people talk about, you know, they like series. And I, so I have a good idea for that. And that will, will not be based upon a prior screenplay. Book four is a completely different direction. It's going to be a nonfiction novel. And those are, I know, are very rare. First one was uh, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Um, they're not common at all. And uh, this is the story of my grandfather and his two brothers during the Depression, coming of age during the Depression, and uh, then going off to war. One did not go off to war because uh, physically could not pass the physical. And then that was my grandfather. And then his two brothers went off to war, one to the Pacific, one to the European theater. One came home, one did not. And I, up until this came back, uh, Wager of Death came back from the editor, I was in the middle of reading 70 some odd year old letters between relatives and including uh, between my great uncles. And there's some really interesting things that happened in my family that make a nonfiction novel possible. And, you know, because this is going to be something I'm not going to fictionalize, fictionalize at all. The only thing that will be uh, fictionalized is the dialogue because I wasn't present. Uh, otherwise, it's all going to be true. Well, if it's going to be all true, that's a lot of research to get everything right, right down to what kind of cookies would my great-grandmother bake. <laughs> and uh, so there's a lot of research that I'm doing, 
it's just a case of if I, I can't say that it's true and unless it's true. And so uh, th this is going to take a little bit of time, but it's, there's really a lot of stuff here. So it's, it's going to be World War II story. Wow. Well, it sounds like a really worthy passion project. And uh, you'll have to let, let me know when that's uh, ready. And I'll be happy to uh, give it a shout out. Let, let everybody know that it's available. Sounds good to me. Great. Well, where can, uh, where can we find you online and follow you? Children of the Sun is available anywhere new books are found online. Although, quick caveat, I'm having trouble with Amazon on the paperback version, but that's another story. My um, publisher my publisher and I are both struggling with them on the paperback, so they're selling used versions for $2. But mm. to get a new copy, you can go to Barnes & Noble, Smashwords, Goodreads, you name it. Um, Dead Dreams and Wager of Death, as I speak, are only uh, Amazon. I'm going to be changing that pretty soon, but I'm learning the ropes when it comes to those kind of things because my, uh, I had a publisher for my first novel, a publisher for my second, a different one. The third one, Wager of Death, I self-published. And so I'm learning a lot of things. And one thing I want to do is get uh, Dead Dreams and Wager of Death available more than just Amazon. But right mm -hmm. now, Amazon for all three, Children of the Sun, anywhere new books are sold online. My Twitter account is at written by BWP. Facebook, written by BWP. And my website is written by BWP.com. A little bit of a theme there. And <laughs> so my, my, my email is written by BWP at Gmail. So uh, that's the best way to find me online is use written by BWP. I was going to comment on that before, but that's a clever way to do it since your name is a, a little bit common. I mean, there may, may be Especially some in other... Minnesota. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of them Trust out there. Trust me right? on that. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, um, always use my middle initial when searching for me, W, I'm Brian W. Peterson because of that. And if you go to Amazon or wherever, look me up. Uh, if, you, if you look me up by author, just type in Brian W. Peterson. Okay. All right. Do you have on your website, do, the, do you have the links to, uh, to Amazon I do. For, for, for the books? Okay, great. All right. So what I'll do is I'll make sure in the show notes, I'll have a link directly to your website so everybody can click on there and then follow through to uh, the one or two or all three books that they want. Thank they you, kindly. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Brian, I could, I could spend all night sitting here talking with you. Uh, clearly, we, I, I should have spent more time at your booth. I can't remember what happened, how we got sidetrack but uh, i look forward to talking to you again sometime and running to you at another con thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a, a lot of fun talking with you i enjoyed it you get two midwesterners together and oh boy oh look out <laughs> absolutely well <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i'm going to hand the floor over to our guest brian peterson with wager of death okay i'm going to read from chapter 27 of wager of death Wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, which featured a surfer on the front, friends would not have mistaken the figure for anyone other than Troy, but friends were not around. Instead, as he exited the bar, quiet permeated the ocean air. Cars lined the street a block from Pacific Coast Highway, but the absence of human life added to the stillness, except for a shadow which popped up in front of Troy's car. Troy saw the figure when it reached arm's length, 
the first attempt at a question, or was it a greeting, ended with an abrupt movement from the shadow and an explosion emanating from the top of Troy's head, cascading downward through his neck to his shoulders and into his chest. Thrust into unconsciousness, he did not feel the inevitable pain which followed. Troy's next sense of awareness dwelled on the intense throbbing in his head, agony, foggy thoughts, log jammed. Questions abounded, but only the intense pain from the crushing blows he received mattered. His focus on the pain left him unaware of his surroundings. As the minutes passed and the fog eased, enough to allow thoughts to flow again, he attempted to reach up to feel the source, the top of his forehead, above the outside of his left eye, but a new thought entered the haze. He could not move. His hands and feet were tied. The severity of the pain prohibited cogent thoughts from reaching maturity. Had he maintained the ability to reason, he would have explained to anyone who had listened he felt as though his head had been crushed in a vice while set on fire. Throbbing combined with an ache made him wish he could detach his head. A loud ringing in his ears made the pain worse. The act of thinking remained impossible, as though part of his brain had been shut down for repairs. The impenetrable darkness added to the confusion. He could not ascertain his location, and his lack of mobility added to the feeling of being lost, of hopelessness and that unremitting, piercing ringing. Time passed. How much he did not know, but parts of the brain seemed to be open for business. His left eye was closed. His hearing was limited by the ringing. He lacked memory of how he found himself in such a predicament. The fierce pain distracting his thoughts led him to divert extra energy toward thought. Just the simple act of assembling a thought produced additional suffering. As the seconds gave way to minutes, his senses slowly regained their powers. He detected the sensation of motion. He was in a vehicle, probably a trunk. A man, a mere figure in the darkness, had struck him with a heavy object on the front of his head. Troy had a brief flash of a memory, a voice, whose voice he could not be sure, telling him if he ever found himself locked in a trunk by a kidnapper, he should kick out the taillights so a police officer would spot the vehicle. He dwelled on that thought for what felt like an hour, 10 seconds in reality, before reaching the conclusion he was tied to part of the car. He could not roll over to kick out a taillight. He could not roll over. He could not kick. He could only move his fingers and his head, and moving his head proved a painful mistake. Troy lacked the ability to track time. For all he knew, he could have been in the car for 10 hours. It seemed like days. He only knew the vehicle had stopped, and he had not resumed moving. No voices, which meant no police officer or other person to come to his rescue. Only incredible pain. Unbearable throbbing pounded his skull. The trunk opened. The darkness shielded the identity of his assailant. The sadistic villain picked up an object near Troy's feet and lifted it at an awkward angle. With a sidearm stroke designed to avoid hitting the car, the attacker struck Troy in the ribs. Metal cracked multiple ribs. Troy's scream was truncated by a devastating blow to his jaw. Troy heard himself groan. Consciousness did not remain steady. He felt as though a knife had been jammed through his skull, from his forehead to his jaw, not realizing it was the result of the original blow to his head, or was it the strike to the jaw? Wrists tied together, labored breathing punctuated by gasps, stabbing pain in his left side, ankles tied together, lying on a hard wood surface, blood in his left eye. Fight me fair, Troy's gruff voice called out. He felt as though he did not utter the words that someone standing next to him spoke on his behalf, yet he meant every word with great conviction. Troy had never experienced distress to this level. His head felt as though it would explode at any moment, yet somewhere deep within himself, he felt the urge to fight. 
He also knew more pain was about to be delivered mercilessly. You're about to die. The voice responded as though the words were meant to be comforting. Choi could not recognize the voice. The ringing in his ears throughout his entire head masked the sound. A man. He could not perceive the calmness, the lack of emotion. Choi could only hear a man in control of his life, his frail, beaten, bloody life. Consciousness left Troy, but returned in intervals until he awakened to realize the hard wood on which he found his injured body was a boat, a small boat. The attacker moved in a rhythmic dance, as though the music drowned out by the ringing in Troy's ears. A rowboat. The attacker's movement put oars to water. You're going to drown me. Troy did not realize his voice was difficult to hear. His slurred speech made understanding him even more difficult. Maybe I've thought about killing you before you go under but I've ruled that out. Troy again focused as much energy as possible to his brain, yet he could not recognize the voice. Oars hitting the water sounded muffled. The only sounds he heard well were his torturous breathing and the incessant ringing. Who are you? Troy slurred. I'm the last person you'll ever see. The moon seemed to separate the clouds, allowing its night shine to penetrate the darkened scene. Troy lifted his hands to see the zip ties which bound his wrists together. Like a drunk, he moved his arms and lifted his head to see zip ties around his ankles, wrapped by a chain. He attempted to register a thought which could explain the presence of the chain, but failed. He also failed to see the three 45-pound barbell weights attached to the chain. The assailant stood, legs spread apart for balance. Troy rolled his head and looked up at the figure, backlit by the moon. Before Troy's brain could engage further, a downward blur brought crushing pain to the out of his left knee. Troy propelled himself up, a reflex to the strike, but endured a blow to his left elbow. In a rowboat, in the middle of the night, in a quiet lake, Troy's shrieks and cries for mercy went unheeded. Troy opened his eyes, unaware of the time which had passed during his state of unconsciousness. The moon seemed to be in the same position, but he could not be sure. He could not be sure of anything except excruciating pain, although he did notice he was positioned on his left side. He lacked the mental acuity or physical strength to roll off his side, to take weight off his broken knee and elbow. It took you long enough to wake up again. The voice was not finished with his subject. He stood up, arms above his head. This time, Troy caught a glimpse of the crowbar a mere second before it crashed down into his right knee. He barely moved. The second blow missed his elbow, striking his humerus. Troy's large triceps muscle was not enough to cushion the blow. Before his brain could tell him what to do, Another strike met its target, shattering the elbow. We've been out here an hour, the voice announced. You ready to die? Yes, yes, Troy thought he screamed, but what came out of his mouth sputtered in blood and pain. Once again, the moon hid itself behind clouds. Two coyotes yipped only 50 yards from shore. A great horned owl hooted into the night, responding to a distant bird of the same species. His battered body, the stern of the small boat, Troy was unaware of the coyotes or the owls or any other surroundings. He only knew of unrelenting misery. Please kill me, Troy attempted to beg. You're pitiful, the man responded. Troy struggled to see movement in the darkness, the moon again obscured. He saw the man step toward him. The figure bent over and scooped Troy into his arms, pressing the prisoner against the transom of the tiny boat. Troy felt the sensation of rising up scraping against the edge of the boat until his body reached the top of the transom. Seconds later, cold water rushed over his body, within seconds helping to numb some of the pain. Not enough, but Troy ex- happily accepted any easing of the agony. 
An unseen hand grabbed Troy by the hair and held his head above the water. He was not in command of his senses enough to notice his assailant had rowed only 75 yards from Lake's shore. The hair grab amplified the pain from the first debilitating blow he had received earlier in the night, sending shocks of pain throughout his frame. For a brief moment, the moon peeked through the clouds. With attackers and victims' faces close together, through the pain and darkness, Troy saw the face of the man about to become his killer. Before he could contort his mouth to speak the man's name, the sadist spoke. During the next drought, they'll find your decayed body. The fish will eat your flesh. The hand released Troy's hair. The victim lacked the strength to fight the zip ties or the effects of the assaults from the night's barrage. With what little mental awareness which remained, Troy had a sensation of being inverted, head near the lake's surface. The side of the boat pressed into his ribs. He felt the pulse of water rush against his body after the weights entered the lake. Instantly, the 135 pounds of gym equipment dragged him downward, feet first. Troy Gustafson was too weak to fight for the surface as his body plunged the 20 feet to the lake's bottom. That was Brian W. Peterson reading a sample chapter from his latest book, Wager of Death. Hey, that was fantastic. It was very, very thrilling. And I've already gone out and picked up a copy of that book on KU. You need to do the same. Don't forget to click the links in the show notes for Brian's website and uh, his social media pages. There's also links in there, of course, for all our sponsors and friends of the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show so that that way each week you don't miss out when we have a new author, a new book, and a new sample chapter. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week.